Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast with Jason and Peely. Jason is holding down the ship today as Peely has the kiddos and is making real estate deals happen. We are absolutely excited. It's been a long time coming that we are very excited to have John Cohen on the podcast. John, welcome. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, John is the co-founder of Toro Real Estate Partners. John focuses on strategic direction of his company and the formulation of investment strategy, investor development, and acquisition and dispositions. He's been investing in real estate since 2010 and understands deep value investing in real estate space and started by buying tax deeds and tax liens. And since starting in real estate, he's been involved in over 350. 50 million in various real estate transactions. And yes, that was 350 million. Spanning from tax liens, rental sale and transactions in New York, and his own personal investments. John worked at Marcus Millichap and focused on multifamily investment sales in Brooklyn and the Queens market. And after leaving Marcus Millichap, focused 100% of his time on the growth of his real estate company. And he also played baseball at Queens College, where he graduated with a degree in economics. Well, John, that, that's a lot there. Well, we really appreciate you having coming on the show today. And if you take that back, you, you've done so many things. Where did it all start? Where, where was the desire and the need and the want to get into real estate? Uh, that's an you know, excellent question. And you make it sound a lot better than it actually was. Uh, you, you, uh, you, uh, that's for sure. But I think it originally started, my grandfather owned real estate forever. And I just saw what he did and you know, he had a business, a super successful business, but you know, he bought real estate out of need for his trucking company. And then he just, you know, then once that was over, he rented out all those sites and I just saw, you know, collecting the money for, I was like, wow, that just seems like a really cool thing to do. Um, now I wish I would have known that way before I started to do what I did. Cause I, you know, I, I went to college, I played baseball. I didn't, you know, college was baseball. It wasn't, it was, that was it. Um, I probably would have gotten involved a lot longer, a lot, you know, a lot earlier and I would have bought, you know, a lot more and maybe not have sold some stuff, but uh, the passion started there just watching what he did and, and it, it stuck with me. Now that being said, you know, I became a stockbroker. I did, you know, financial services for three years um, after school and then while I was there, I realized that I hated that industry. I just hated not having control or not being able to put my spin on something. If, you know, if, we, sold, if we bought Apple stock for our clients and something happened that I had no control over, they lost money. Or, or maybe I had no control over something and they made money. And that, that was a good feeling, but the losing money wasn't a good feeling. So I knew that you know, I wanted to pick something different. Brick and mortar real estate was something that you have a lot more control over. And not necessarily the market because things can happen that are out of your control. But going into that property, you can do the proper due diligence and work that's really on your shoulders that will drive that deal for the future. That's on your shoulders. And I thought that was just a much better concept um, than buying a stock or buying a bond that you don't, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so that was like the driving factor. And then, you know, when I started, uh, I started while I was a broker, uh, stock broker, and I didn't have, you know, a ton of money to go buy, you know, $30 million multifamily building. Uh, so I started in tax deeds and tax liens because it was a cheaper way to get going. And it taught me a ton of stuff. 
Now, if you were to look back at that again, would you start that same direction going into tax liens first? So it was interesting because, you know, one of the other guys that works for us here, he was talking about it because we, you know, we had a, an internal meeting talking about, you know, where we are in the market and, you know, just being a little bit more selective. And, you know, he, his, his compensation from us is more dictated on, you know, acquisitions and asset management. And we're selling a lot of our properties and who knows how many more we buy this year. So he was actually asking me that exact question. He said, would you recommend as like a little side thing, if you don't mind, you know, how did that go? And I said, it's a great business. I recommend it to everybody because when I was buying tax deeds in Philadelphia, you had to put down 10% or 750 bucks, whatever was more. So I was buying, you know, four, five, six thousand dollar properties for 700 bucks and you had 30 days to pay the balance and you didn't even have to pay the balance and, and you could do it in cash. Now, now it's changed significantly, but I would go to the auction with, you know, a thousand dollars in cash. I'd buy three, four properties, you know, or whatever it was. And I'd be able to go to the properties after that, which you weren't supposed to do and knock on the door. You know, they don't go to the property until you pay for it. But I'd go there, knock on the door, talk to the owner or the renter and figure it out. Or sometimes the house was vacant. I developed a good relationship with a locksmith and he popped the locks open for me, which we weren't supposed to do. But we would go into the house and be like, uh-oh, this is worth nothing. Okay, I put up 700 bucks. So it was a cheaper way to learn the business. I mean, there was some, I was buying some dangerous areas, that's for sure. Um, I definitely recommend, maybe it's tax deeds and tax liens, but the thing I tell everybody, get involved in something, whether it's, you know, interning for a company, putting 20 grand into your friend's deal, but do something because paying for a mentor, paying for education, listening to podcasts, but you got to get involved. And, and whatever that strategy is, do it. Taxis and liens are great because you can do it in all 50 states. You can do it in your backyard. Um, you can get as active or, you know, as active as you want and you can learn. And, and there's no better way to learn than by doing, in my opinion. Um, it, can, it might cost you a couple thousand bucks. You know, you may buy something that you may not want, but uh, it's a pretty low hanging fruit. Uh, and I tell people it's definitely something that could be done, you know, to, to at least you know, spark the imagination or, or get involved and you might love it. So yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it as something that, you know, someone could start doing. Do you remember that point where you said, okay, I, I know enough, I'm ready or I, I'm, I'm confident enough that I'm going to jump into large multifamily or what triggered it? So I don't even know if I'm there yet. <laughs> but, fair, so, fair response. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was actually a residential agent in the city and I was doing rentals and sales. And before I started that, I always, commercial real estate was sexy right? That was, I loved it. And I remember when I was interviewing and I was talking to a very good family friend of mine, I was like, I want to, I want to do commercial real estate. He said, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know. I want to sell, I want to sell big buildings for a lot of money. I mean, that, that's what commercial real estate is, right? Yep. He said, you probably want to educate yourself a little bit more because you know, there's retail, industrial office. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy space. So I became a residential agent in the city to sort of build relationships. Uh, I knew it would be take a little time, meet a lot of people and see what happened. While I was there, there was a commercial division in the company. Um, it was office leasing. Uh, nothing attractive to me on that. And spoke to that guy and then realized after I was there that, you know, I want to go bigger. So I actually ended up getting a job at Marcus and Millichap uh, to learn the business more. While I was at Marcus, that's when I would talk to my clients and I would say, hey, you know, why are you buying this? Like, and, and I would underwrite a ton of deals and, and propose on a ton of deals to, to get listings. And I just saw the bottom line and I was like, that's a lot more than I'm going to make by selling this property. 
And you're going to make that every year, whereas I'm only as good as my last deal. So while I was interviewing there, I was also reading a lot of books on the investment side. I came across a Dave Lindahl podcast um, talking about direct mail, which I sent a ton of direct mail out. So I downloaded a list and sent out a direct mailer and I just put an offer on a property. So I thought, you know, I was at Marcus and Millichap and my investing career for not, it wasn't, you know, 10 years. I'm only 31. It was significantly less than that, but I just saw a podcast and I did it. I, I downloaded the list, sent out the mailers and I just took, I took that action and I put an offer on something. And then when I put an offer on something, that's when I got introduced to a very good friend of mine, a mentor of mine. And he said, hold, give me six months. You don't necessarily want to buy that right now. And that's when I taking the action, I realized I could do this. I could put product, I could put deals together. And then I, I educated myself to make sure it, it, I knew everything I had to know to buy something. So this question may align, but you were already investing, but why do so many realtors and, and brokers who, who have access and, and seem to be able to see the other side, why do they sit in the sidelines and not invest? It, good question. Um, I saw it as, you know, I, I'll use the, you know, the, the, the crazy analogy is you're only as good as your last deal. And, you know, my, my, I lived in Long Island. I worked in Brooklyn and Ridgewood was my territory and it was in between Long Island and Brooklyn. I was driving from Long Island to Brooklyn to Ridgewood, back to Brooklyn for meetings to Ridgewood. It was a crazy amount of travel. And I said, you know, what happens if something happens? Like the market changes or, you know, I, I can't physically do all this driving. And, and I said, you know, this is at some point, this may not work. And there were guys in my office that were doing it and they were doing things they probably shouldn't have been doing legally, but I don't know why more don't take that leap of faith. You know, some people just like that, you know, that thrill of being a broker, but I also think that a lot of brokers invest, they should invest more and take the time, but I don't know the answer. I would recommend as a broker, you're, you're, you're as a broker, as an agent, you are set up, you have that platform in front of you, take advantage of it and, and do it. And my boss, when he hired me, I told him I had an investment company that I did some fix and flips. And, you know, I wasn't buying anything in New York. So he never had the problem of me like, Usually. you know, trying to sell deals and buy them, which could be a little dicey, you know, outside or stuff like that. And I never got involved. And when I ended up leaving Marcus, he actually said, he's like, I knew this time would come because you had that mindset, you know, is there anything I do to convince you to stay? And I said, you know, unless, unless you're going to buy deals for me and give them to me. No, it's, it's just, it's not where I want to be, but I don't know. I mean, I would recommend everyone do it. I mean, even if you rolled your commission into a deal or, you know, you source the deal and, and, and you, you work something out with your company to, to take ownership of it, but it's, you know, buying one deal and still being a broker, that deal's your baby. You know, it's, it's always going to be there. I think you said it, you, you had your mind made up and so many people talk about it. I hear agents say, you know, I want to start investing, but they haven't said, I'm, I'm going to start investing. It's always that, that, shiny object in the future. So if we fast forward to today and you walk on an elevator and someone says, what do you do? What is your elevator pitch? <laughs> That's great. So, um, cause th this is something I'm trying to tweak cause you know, I think I've, I've cut it down to, you know, I'm a real estate investor. You know, it's, you know, I can give this sexy syndication story, raising private money. And I think eyes gloss over when you say that. And then it's just, it's, and it's like, what? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an investor. You know, we buy, you know, my company, my company, you know, I'm the principal of my company. And basically, you know, we buy multifamily properties in the Southeast and the Midwest. Um, we offer up opportunities. I try and keep it short and quick to see if, if they start asking more questions, I'll get into the, you know, the nitty gritty. 
But, you know, my, my answer is real estate investor. And, you know, I sort of see if I could add value to someone else before really saying, hey, this is what I do. You know, is there anything we can do together? It's, it's easier. Uh, and I've tried everything. And, and when you start getting into the real specifics, eyes, eyes gloss over and they're like, well, that, that seems so complicated. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you, you're looking at growing into large multifamily, what were some of the hurdles that confronted you and had you overcome them? I would say the biggest hurdle for me coming from the brokerage world uh, as a broker in Ridgewood, Queens, where, you know, there's 4,000 properties in, in one zip code. The biggest challenge for me was, you know, I knew every owner and I knew when they bought it and I knew what they sold it for. And I knew so much detail of every property that was, you know, in a small space. The biggest hurdle for me was, you know, we own properties in the Southeast and the Midwest. You know, I bought a property in Charleston, South Carolina knowing the comps and learning the areas was, was the hardest part for me because it was so sprawling. It was significantly larger than, you know, a one zip code radius in Queens. And that, that was the hardest part for me for sure was just getting comfortable. Like, wait a second, why are they going to live in my building and not that building? And yeah, okay. Maybe that's a super high end class A and I was a B or a C class property, but you know, you're coming from a market here where I, you know, my rent was $3,000 and they're paying, you know, 800 and it, it, it was very difficult to put that in perspective right out of the box. Now, you'll realize, you know, after you do it for a little bit, it's not that difficult. But out of the box, by far, the hardest thing for me was not knowing the story of every single property like the back of my hand. So with some tips for people that are maybe trying to research a market or figure it out and are using this as the uh, hurdle that they can't get over? I would say the biggest thing is, is, is speak to everybody. You know, don't discount the gas station owner on the corner when you're going into a market, you know, talk to that guy, talk to the lady who's mowing her lawn, talk to the guy who's planting a tree, find out what's going on from the, from the common person perspective. Cause you know, I'm in New York, I drive up and down the road and you know, next thing you know, there's, there's 20 buildings built and you, you don't even realize it cause it's in your backyard or you may say, Oh, there's a ton of development going over there. But the common person in a market will give you more information than a broker or a property manager. You need them as well for sure because they'll give you the specifics and the detail, but don't discount knocking on a door and saying, hey, how long have you lived here? Why'd you move here? Or what, what have you seen going on? Because that, that can give you some insight to a market that you're not going to get. The broker's going to tell you the rosy picture. The manager's going to sell you why it's going to work. Um, you want to find out the things that may or may not work. So the, the common person, I think, is a huge tip. Uh, and then simultaneous to that is, is try and get in touch with as many people as you know in, in that market, you know, other building owners, other owners, people that have sold, do whatever you can to talk to them and find out why they bought or why they sold. And then paint your own picture. Don't just listen to the broker or the manager, you know, do your own digging and your own painting to, uh, to, to put your own story together. That's great. And if you're looking, what was that first deal? What was the lead up to it? And what did that first deal look like? So the first deal I did, um, we offered on a property in Cleveland. Um, didn't buy it. That was the one that got me intrigued, right? I sent the direct mailer out. But, you know, I had a, a, a lot of relationships with people in Cincinnati. They were buying a lot of properties in Cincinnati. Still very good friendly with, you know, brokers and managers out there. So I said, okay, what other markets are around there where at least I'll have some good contacts within two hours? So I sent out a direct mail campaign to Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it was four or five letters in the letters were actually going to a manager I was talking to. And the manager called me up. He said, Hey, you're, you're JC property group at the time. I said, yeah. He said, I have your deal. This owner's out of Hawaii. Just no idea what's going on. Here's the deal. So he called me up, called me back, put me in contact with the homeowner who was getting ready to list the property that week. 
this was a, maybe a Saturday, it was a Friday afternoon. I spoke to him. He said, can you get out to the property this weekend? I was like, sure. Jumped in my car, drove 10 hours to Columbus. It was a Saturday. I drove there toward the property, met three or four brokers, got in my car and drove home. Literally one day trip, saw it. It was a Sunday. I was like, okay, this is beautiful. It, you know, nice property, looks good, really attractive. Um, here's my offer. We, we agreed to it, went to contract. And then went out there and started the diligence process. What it was just, it was six months of direct mailing, cold calling, you know, market research, and then finally after picking Columbus and finding out, putting that deal together. And then it was just, uh, it was a, it was awesome. It was one of the best feelings. Um, it was one of the best feelings. I think the only thing that rivals it, uh, there, there's one that's coming up in the future. My wife's back with our first kid. She's due in February. So I, I don't know what that feeling's like yet. Yeah. But I say all the time, the best feeling I ever had in my life was hitting a college home run. And my wife, you know, she, she's like not meeting me. A college home run, Yankees winning the World Series and buying my first commercial building. Those are, those are the top three right now. I think my kid being born may be, the, may be number one, but I'm not there yet. So I can still say, you know, it's in the top three as far as feelings. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Looking at that, if, uh, John just gave you guys basically the rundown of how, how you can make this happen, right? You research the market, you find the opportunity, you speak to everybody who that's there. You, it takes time. This is not something that you just say, I want to buy an apartment building and it's a, it's a tomorrow thing. Six, six months or more of direct marketing, talking to multiple people. But when that deal came in place and came down the pipeline, you got a call on Friday. He was there on Saturday. And so in 10 hours away, oh, I, oh, I can't get a flight. Well, I'm going to get in a car. I'm going to go out there. And when I'm there, I'm actually going to take advantage of it and meet other people that are there in the market. So that's literally the steps you can take tomorrow to start yourself onto multifamily mastery. So yeah, that's awesome. If you're looking at the run you've had now here with apartment buildings, what's, what's our, let's say a setback that you've made that's been instrumental to your growth? Oh, it, it was, I, the timing couldn't have been better, right? Mm -hmm. We picked a great time to get involved in this space because it's been such a crazy run. Uh, I think the big thing that we did now is where, what we've done, you know, we've done 2,500 apartments in five years going into our sixth year. Um, we, and we're, we're net sellers right now. I mean, there's two properties that we're in the middle of renovations on that we're probably going to get rid of in the middle of this year. Other than that, everything else is either in contract or being sold. Uh, we, we just internally, we sat down and we basically just said, you know, let's, let's step back and let's, let's, let's let the market do its thing. And let's, let's, I don't want to, you know, where we would put in 10 offers before something came together. Now we put in, you know, twice that amount before something comes in. So we're still doing that, but it's, you know, when that deal comes in and we get to the finish line, it's like, wait a second, before we put that offer out, do we really want to be in this space, in this market for the next 10 years. So just really, really making sure a double check um, for sure has probably been the biggest thing for us where we are right now as a company you know, to that springboard to the next level is just making sure this is where we want to be and what we want to do. Um, simultaneously to that, I think the biggest thing that I, you know, the, the biggest tip and the, the best piece of advice that I can give someone um, is build your database of contacts. Those two things, you know, really double check your evaluations today. And, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, try and meet 30 new people every month. That's 360 new people in your database every single year that that maybe can answer a question maybe becomes an investor maybe becomes a really good friend that you could you know brainstorm and accountability partner but uh 30 you know, i tell people 30 people 30 days in a month 30 people a month you know coffees lunch breakfast whatever you got to do um 
just just build a database because real estate, I think, is a, it's a it's a, a relationship game where if I have a problem and I'm I'm running into a wall and it's in Kentucky, maybe I call Jason and say, hey, you know, awesome podcast. I know we've spoken a couple of times. You know, we're not best friends and you're you know the best man at my wedding, but I know if something comes along there. I have a guy that I can make a call to, to find out, get a little bit more intel or, and I think this actually happened through Chris Jackson. I think, you know, I think there was a deal that was out. He called me on. I said, Hey, why don't you call Jason and them and see why they didn't buy it? Cause they're in that market and they probably saw it before we did. And that oh, alone. Yeah. So he called me. I said, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> so it's a little, it's that phone call that could protect, can protect you against a devastation. And that's literally just meeting 30 people a month. It's, it's a springboard to your, your database and, and your database is everything, whether it's your pipeline of deals, or your database of contacts, but that is the game for sure. That's huge. And when you're looking at deals and everything's coming across your desk, what, what metrics are important to you and what are you focusing on? <laughs> right now it's a basis for us right now. The basis is key. You know, cap rates are huge, right? But you know, find me an eight cap, a real eight cap, right? Never going to happen. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. You know, there, you know, we, there's a deal that's being sold right now in Simpsonville, South Carolina uh, at a sub five cap. It's down the block from our property that we were actually getting ready to sell. Cushman just took it to market yesterday. And I just told them, Hey, listen, it's, it's 144 units. We own 240. I said, someone wants to pick up 400 units. Good. Like sell. And if you could sell it at a four and a half cap or a five cap, done. you're going to get no arguments from me. Um, but I would say right now the biggest metric for us is, is feeling really good about your per door going in basis with where your rents are. That's the biggest thing for us. I mean, we, you know, cap rate, I could look past, uh, you know, I, I don't want a $400 average rent. That's typically not what we're buying. You know, in a perfect world, I want to be below replacement cost, you know, 50 to 60% below replacement cost with an average rent and the, you know, 650 to a thousand range. That's, that's a, a sweet spot that we, we, we've executed on really well. We know that going into those properties, what we can execute on. Um, but that basis for us right now, cause we're at the top of the market, just having a really solid basis and hanging in there. That's, that's the, the key for us right now. That's awesome. And w with your business and your team, what are you working on right now to improve um, I would say the, the big huh, property management, that's yeah. the, the thing, you know, what, what you realize and, and third party. yeah, so we have third party on all our sites. Now, the big thing for us right now is what we're trying to target. We're trying to target bigger markets with a million people or more where we could pick up 1200 to 2,500 units and still be a good supply and demand ratio where we can set up our own management in those markets because my best third party manager still drives me to drink every night. It's just, it's third party management is tough. It's, it's a tough business. And, and I give the, I give everyone a management, you know, the good managers and the bad managers, I give them all the credit in the world. Cause if you do an amazing job for your manager, your, your owner, they sell the property. If you do a poor job, you get fired. So you, you're, you're in a dead end. You're in debt. You're in a dead end. So uh, third party management to us is something we talk about, you know, every Monday morning in our meeting in, in house you know, what we can do, what are the steps to put in play to, to build that platform out? Because that's my biggest, my biggest hurdle for sure is just, you know, getting that really, really, really good man. These deals are, are their management is critical, especially if you're out of state because you're not there every day. So the good managers, your deals are great. Your bad management, make a change, make a change as quickly as possible because it's uh, that, that these deals are, you know, good management. It makes all the difference in the world. That's exactly our talk track. It's like <laughs> same thing back to us. I was like, it's 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 an unforgivable business. You you do well, and they sell it. You're out. You, you know, you do bad, you're out. So just 
not it's tough. Easy, but yeah, it is tough. But there's a certain point where you have to think about it, right? You have so many units under management, you have to assess it from a point of just what you're spending to, to bring it in-house. So you have like the Jake and Gino philosophy and others out there versus people who are just truly just using third party. Uh, we use third party and yeah, there's plus and minuses, of course, you know, and, but you have to have to think of how can you just get that edge across the board. So that, that's really helpful. Thank you. What, what's the direction now for you and the company over the next five years looking at where we think we are in the cycle or where we may be in the cycle? So where, where you right. I, I thought we were at this point in the cycle two years ago um, and, you know, wrong, right or indifferent um, where we are today. You know, we're obviously still direct, direct mailing, cold calling and aggressively pursuing multifamily properties. Uh, I think one thing that we switched to where, you know, we, you know, we own a 453 unit, a 350 unit. Um, we're, we're targeting more longer term owners, more mom and pop style owners, uh, 50 to 200 250 that there's a lot of competition and as you, as you go up in unit count and the economies of scales are great but we want to target the more efficiently the more inefficient properties like the 110 units the 80 units but in one you know in a, in a msa with a million people where we we can bring efficiencies because we already have scale down there um so that's something that strategic you know direction of us is target some of that inefficient stuff that may be difficult for other buyers to buy, or maybe in a mom and pop price range, where we can bring a professional approach to it because we have professional management in an area. Um, that's a huge one for us. And the other thing is, you know, just not, you know, not turning an eye, you know, mobile home parks is something else that we're looking at as well. Uh, we bought two last year and uh, that's another side of the business. It's very similar to multifamily, but where we were super strong on and super bullish on. Uh, so those two things are definitely very, very, very important for us right now. You've mentioned we a lot. What does your team look like? So internally, uh, it's myself and my partner. Um, my partner, you know, a 30-year veteran at Cushman Wakefield. Uh, so it's me and him. We have an executive assistant slash admin. Uh, we have an operations manager uh, slash, you know, little sort of mini me sort of handling a lot of the stuff. And then actually just brought on our newest employee who's uh, going to be a jack of all trades as well. And And, and I don't, you know, I don't think I want the 500 person real estate company, right? I, I like the startup, smaller family, you know, you know, like family run, you know, we're, you know, we're not wearing, you know, three piece suits and, and create, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely a small shop. We like to keep it lean, but, uh, and, and those roles are being defined. You know, I know what myself, my partner does, you know, I know what our roles are and those three other team members, you know, they're, they're, they're evolving every day to see what, you know, what, where they fit. And I think I do a very good job at putting someone in a position to succeed as to putting someone in a position where I know they're going to hate it or they're not going to like it. And that's, we try and figure that out early on. And, and, and they're all, you know, they're all awesome and they're all flexible with us as far as, you know, taking on some other tasks that maybe they didn't think they would have to do and uh, stuff like that. So there's five of us right now that's in-house. And then obviously the third party management stuff, you know, disregard that stuff. Sure. And if we're looking at everything you've done, is what, what is your big why for doing all this? So the, the, the thing I said to myself early on was I had the greatest childhood ever. My parents gave me everything I could possibly imagine. Um, and, and they didn't give it to me with, you know, seven figures in the bank. They worked their ass off to get there and to do what they did for myself and my brother. So I say it all the time. And, I, and you, know, I, you know, I can plagiarize this from Dave Lundahl a little bit. I'd love to give my parents a blank check and say, what do you want to make a year? Sign it and come work for me. And just so that as they get older, 
I can give them everything that they gave me at 10 times over so they don't have to work or have to care or have to think about it. Um, if I can do that for my family, that's what basically drives me to work, you know, every single day. Simultaneously now, you know, my wife and kid, I want to give them the same thing. I want them to be able to do whatever they want to do. Um, and I, that, that's why I do this because I know that it, the, the path is there to give, you know, my brother, my mother, my, my father, my wife and kid, and, you know, who knows how many more kids, but all of them, you know, the platform to do whatever they want to do. That's awesome, man. Love that. I love that. And if there's someone listening today that that's just on the brink of getting into real estate, maybe let's say multifamily, what's something, an actual step they can take today to start that process? Pick up the phone and make a call. Broker, manager, you know, owner, knock on a door if it's a local market and you want to, you know, it, it, listen, you go to a hundred unit complex, you knock on some doors, the management company might not like it, but someone there may know the owner. If you want to get involved, the two things that are critical in this business, it's money and deals. If you don't have the money, find a deal. If you don't have the deal and you have the money, find, you know, find someone that has the deal. But if, if, if I was giving anyone a piece of advice is, the deal's not, you're not going to wake up and there's going to be an apartment complex wrapped up in a little bow on your desk, on your, on your front door when you go get the mail. That won't happen. So, you know, tomorrow, wake up, make 10 calls or make one call, but make that one call to start that snowball effect. And I think that's the biggest thing you can tell anybody is just, you know, make a call to somebody and ask a question about the business and, 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 and start that progress. I love that. John, thank you so much. This has been awesome. It's been highly actionable, hugely inspirational. For others that want to connect with you, find out more about your company, your business, what's the best way to find you? I'm pretty flexible. Um, you know, my office line is on our website. It's Toro REP, Real Estate Partners. So ToroREP.com. Uh, or you could shoot me an email. I know Jason has my email address. If you put it in the, you know, the show notes, you could attach that. Um, don't hesitate. You shoot me an email. I'm typically going to respond within 24, 48 hours. I'll probably respond with my cell phone. You know, don't hesitate. Give me a call, reach out. You know, I'll give anyone, you know, whether it's the most experienced investor or someone that knows nothing, you know, 30 minutes, you know, an hour of my time is very easily done by me. Um, don't hesitate. Give me a call. You know, I, I'd love to help as, as best I can to anybody that's listening. That's awesome. John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been great. No, thank you. Uh, it was awesome. Um, I appreciate it a lot. Perfect. Well, this is Jason from the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Thank you to all the listeners out there. If you like what you hear, make sure to go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review. Again, thank you, John Cohen. This has been an awesome podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.